Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we're saddling up to wrangle an unidentified flying piece of discourse that is consuming every inch of the internet. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we're reviewing Nope. We're going to start, as we always do, with our icebreaker question before jumping into a spoiler-free review and verdict on the film, and then we'll conclude the show by going really in-depth on a spoiler discussion. And I will say, with this movie, we're probably going to spend a lot more time in the spoiler section than the spoiler-free section, so setting the expectation, we're going to be in spoilers a lot, because there's actually a lot of fun surprises in this film. With all that said, we couldn't be talking about a brand new Jordan Peele movie without some of the best guests around the globe. And by that, I mean, I'm welcoming back LaRon Chapman, award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker, longtime friend on and off the show. Uh, this is something of a special discussion for LaRon and I, because our, our first podcast together was Get Out way back in 2017. LaRon Chapman, Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to talk about Nope with you. Absolutely. This is, as you said, a very full circle moment. Peel brought us together, and Peel will bring us apart. Oh, <laughs> Peel is going to break us apart? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Please don't turn Shyamalan. No, no, I know. That's my fear. That he'll, my fear is that he'll be a Shyamalan, like, knock it out of the park three times, and then all of a sudden, like, what's going on here? Wait, wait, wait. Where wait, are we wait, going? Wait, wait. What's happening? We only have to worry if in front of press screeners they start saying, don't, don't reveal the secrets of the film. They worked very hard on this. <laughs> Looking at you, M. Night Shyamalan in glass. <laughs> there was like a card that was like, don't tell anyone what you see in this movie. Don't ruin it. Listeners, as you can hear, we're also rejoined by Daniel Bocamper of thecinematropolis.com. Also, uh, recently voted into the Oklahoma Film Critics Circle. Daniel Bocamper, welcome back to the show and congratulations. Can't wait to disappoint people. <laughs> Criticism. Yes. Thank you for thank you for having me. It's It's always a pleasure, especially to be on a film like this, to talk about a film like this. Well, it wouldn't be the same without the best guests around the table, I have to say. Uh, again, these discussions, people, they have power. They can form lifelong film friendships like I have with LaRon now, thanks to Get Out and then Us, and now we hear, here we are with Nope. And Daniel, how many movies have we talked, how many like sci-fi horror movies have we talked about together? A, b- a bunch, a bunch, too many to, I could, maybe could count them on my hand, but I don't know. All right, listeners, but before we get to today's review, I just wanted to quickly note that if you do enjoy this unidentified flying discourse that we're going to wrangle today, uh, you can support us in our mission to get these photos, to wrangle this UFO or whatever you want to call it by leaving us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast app, most notably Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It is the best way you can support the show. So if you enjoy the conversation you have today, take that 30 seconds and give us a rating. I'm begging you, please do it. It's very important. With all that said, gentlemen, we are going to ask an icebreaker question related to the unidentified flying object, also known as a UFO. What is your favorite film or TV sequence featuring a UFO? LaRon Chapman, I'm starting with you. Okay, so I feel like the most obvious choice here is uh, Roland Emmerich's uh, Independence Day, because that White House explosion sequence still slaps. And I'm not referring to Will Smith at the Oscars. <laughs> so not sure if this is really like a UFO film per se, but it's in the wheelhouse. But Arrival is probably my recent fave of this kind of film. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think this this and Arrival have a lot in common in terms of 
how they take a thing you think you know, and we're like, mm, but it's not that thing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Great picks, Lauren Chapman. Daniel Bokemper, how about you? I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's very memorable because I didn't catch this film, a, a very uh, classic cult film, for the first time until very recently, and that's uh, Alex Cox's Repo Man, I believe from 1984. Um, there is an alien throughout the film, but in, in a way you kind of – pull behind the UFO curtain, you see how the UFO uh, is made. And despite that, the uh, the flying object is not uh, not really identifiable. It is a shell of a Malibu, but by the uh, end of the film, it's it's bright green and it's uh, it's uh, flying our main character uh, across the LA skyline and into space. And you still don't know, again, what the hell is going on. <laughs> um, but it's great. It's also a reminder of how uh, much I've been reading a little bit about the making of the film and just seeing learning how much a film in its entire plot can just pivot out of necessity. And that ending that ultimately leads to a, a, a UFO um, is, is one of those many pivots that resulted from, you know, rolling with the punches uh, with the production company. So I, uh, yeah, I'm going to say repo man, repo man. That is an unexpected selection, but I like it. Nonetheless, uh, I'm going to go with, let's say two and one, not UFO, but one aliens, uh, because I just like to talk about the movie. Uh, starting with the UFOs, uh, of course, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, mm-hmm. classic film um, combined. It, it, not only did it subvert the expectations of the time, which is, oh, no, the aliens are here to blow us up and evaporate us. It still had a little bit of that going on. But um, it was Steven Spielberg doing a fundamentally different take on aliens along with alongside E.T. Now, the difference being is I really don't like E.T. I actually think it's very overrated, and most people hate me that I think that thing, but I just it never really clicked with me. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, however, uh, a favorite. I love it. I think it's um, subversive. I think it's emotional. I think it's good stuff, and I love the way, uh, again, the way they have to, to learn how to communicate with the uh, aliens, so to speak. Just good stuff. Really good storytelling. Had that source, also had that sense of awe when the UFO shows up where you're like, it's majestic, right? Because if we saw a UFO in real time, you Mm-mm. it's like I'm simultaneously afraid, but also like this thing in front of me is mm-hmm. in I'm entranced by how it sort of breaks the laws of physics and science as we know it, right? Along those lines, I think a movie that did recently did that very well. Um, I guess it's sort of a spoiler, but uh 2019's The Vast of Night, mm-hmm. um, which is uh an indie film directed by uh Andrew Patterson. Uh I don't know if he still resides in Oklahoma. Has Oklahoma a filmmaker that has Oklahoma roots? Also uh, co-written by uh, Craig Sanger, friend of the show. Um, and uh, again, um, sort of like a throwback to a different type of alien movie, like almost like a um, world of worlds, like where you're because there's radio is such a big part of it, and, and like radio communications a big part of it. Like that small town, there's an invasion happening, but once you encounter the UFO at the end of the movie, again, it's a a source of awe and just majesty and wow, humans are so small and insignificant, right? Um, I just, I love that. Like this again, transcends the laws of human nature. Just love it. Great yeah. movie on Amazon prime right now. Check it out. And lastly, cause I like to talk about this movie. Uh, the faculty, it's a favorite. There's no UFOs in it technically, but man, it's inv- invasion of the body snatchers. But in the 90, late 90s, we get introduced uh, to so many beloved actors. We get Josh Hartnett. Uh, we get um, Elijah Wood. I mean, just uh, Jordana Brewster. Jordana Brewster. Oh, man. Just such a what an incredible cast. John Stewart plays the science teacher. Yeah, don't don't trust high school teachers. <laughs> Never. Never. And I don't know, just, just the way it's like when you're in high school, this is how you feel. 
you're like, I'm an outcast and you're looking for other outcasts and all the teachers are actually like out to get you. I just, mm-hmm. it's, it's I great. That. Oh man. Great movie. Even despite the fact that it basically encourages drug usage uh, <laughs> yeah. pretty blatantly, but you know what? It's uh, we're, we're not going to, we're going to ignore that. We're going to ignore that. It was the nineties. Different time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, what is your favorite film or TV sequence featuring a UFO? You can let us know by emailing the cinematropolis.com or by sending us a message on Twitter at the cinematrop or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the cinematropolis. With all that said though, let's go ahead and jump into our spoiler free review of Nope. Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is my great great grandfather. Great. There's another great grandfather. But that's why back at the Haywood Ranch, as the only black-owned horse trainers in Hollywood, we like to say, since the moment pictures could move, we had skin in the game. According to IMDb, Nope is described as the residence of a lonely gulch in Inland, California. Bear witness to an uncanny and chilling discovery. God, that is a great synopsis. It's accurate. It's vague. And it makes me want to know what the hell happens next. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's a great synopsis, IMDb. Good job. You hit it every once in a while. Um, still bitter about the Jurassic World Dominion uh, <laughs> synopsis that lied blatantly to us. So a couple fun facts about this. This is uh, Jordan Peele's third feature film as the the director. So again, um, he's been around for a long time. He's produced a lot of projects since the uh, success that he saw with Get Out. This is only the third film he's directed, though. Uh, it also grossed $44 million in its opening weekend, uh, a little less than, I think a little more than Get Out, but a little less than Us. Um, but overall, uh, it is still pretty impressive. It set a record for, I think, post-pandemic, the, the, the highest-grossing opening weekend for an original IP. So that's pretty great. Um, so overall, uh, I would say that box office success. Uh, but what about the movie itself? Because I feel like there's been a, a somewhat divided, largely positive sort of conversation about the movie online. Uh, so I'm actually going to start with you, Daniel Bo Kemper. What did you think of Nope? Yeah, and I'm glad that's a, a twofold question because I am of two minds of the film. I think there are so many great individual sequences, and I think it's a very, very strong original idea, original concept, and a a great uh, creature design, uh, which we'll get into more a little bit later. I just I do question if some of those sequences are wound together, you know, quite as tightly as something like Get Out, um, maybe even Us, which I think is more a bit more of an analogous. I I, I found myself comparing us to this film even though they're still vastly different more so than than get out get out i think almost works independently of those um for very good reason but i think with you know on a technical level again there's those thrilling sequences you have great sound design i do think the cinematography um itself is really great and and that lends itself to a great film going experience um and then there are very strong performances um it's just sometimes there's so many strong characters that I don't think they they necessarily have room to breathe or they're delivered and you have this very, 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 um, you know, strong introduction into them, but then then some of them start to wane a little bit. Um, 
again, it's just not quite wound as tightly as I, as I, I think I wanted it to be or what I was kind of expecting um, from us. But but there is still the intrigue. There, again, is still great character design. It is very, very original uh, for what it is, and I think that's worth lauding. I also think we're kind of getting spoiled um, on on eye creatures. You know, we had Dune and the sandworms, and I, I think, you know, this uh, creature we get here, again, isn't, isn't too different. Um, and then I think the theme, um, the idea of... You know, do do we do we assert any form of control, or do we even have any control of the things we observe, um, and do we even have a right to attempt to to harness them and and use them for our entertainment? I think that's a very very strong message. Um, but again, it's just there's a little incohesion. It did feel a little long, um, and there were some instances where I thought there may have been maybe um, maybe a bit of like a, a missing scene almost or something like that. It got to a certain point, and and it just didn't. I don't know. It just didn't all feel like it meshed um, super well at the end of the day. But but again, overall, I do think it had some very powerful sequences. When it does strike you, you you do get a bit of a sense of awe, which I think any you know good science fiction uh, film, any film in general, should accomplish. So it does have that. Um, I just think the narrative was maybe a little bit weaker overall. Mm-hmm. All right. So Daniel Bokemper, thanks so much for your quick review there. Laron Chapman, what did you think of Nope? I loved it. I thought it was creepy. I thought it was funny. I thought it was um, thoughtful. Um, I think it is going to be Peel's most divisive film for sure, because I think so much of the story is left up to interpretation and how much work the audience has to do post viewing to really kind of put those pieces together. Um, But for me, that's an asset for the film Um, and not a critique. But I, um, as you mentioned, I really love Daniel. I really loved the uh, cinematography. Those night shots are incredible. I found myself getting lost in the vastness of it and like searching for the terror in the sky. And I like the clarity of the night shots, which you don't normally get from night shots. So the lens there is just so, it's so, uh, it's really beautiful. Um, and also one thing that I thought was worth noting is like, this is like a major genre film that's featuring a very diverse, um, ethnically diverse cast. Um, you got, you know, you got black character, main character, mainstream uh, protagonist. You have an Asian character, um, and and then also worth noting is that, uh, which is not, it's lightly touched on. It's not really elaborated on. But Kiki Palmer's character is also a queer woman. You know, so um, and the, putting those characters kind of in the forefront of a major genre film just felt revolutionary to me because you didn't, we just don't see movies like that. You know, or we're not featured in that in that way. You know, so it was really cool to have that anchored through the whole thing. So. All right. Uh, so Lauren Chapman, uh, very positive on the film. I am, uh, I'm, I'm pretty middle of the road on this one. And what I mean is the things that work overwhelmingly work for me. Um, man, Jordan Peele really knows how to put together an incredibly tense sequence. There's at least two or three where I am just there. I am feeling it. I am in suspense. I don't, I genuinely don't know what's going to happen next. And it's so well executed. Um, I love the characters in this film, all of them. I think they're all really interesting. Even some of the smaller characters, I'm like, hi, oh, man, this guy is cool, fun to watch, you know? Mm-hmm. Heck, even the TMZ guy who shows up at the end of the movie, I just think, uh, you know what I mean? Like, every character feels like they have purpose and meaning, and whether that's a comedic value or they're trying to add something to sort of the the commentary that I think Peel is putting on display here, they're all great. And again, the movie just looks awesome. Like, it just looks like a top-notch production. Like, again, he knows 
He knows how to direct. Jordan Peele clearly knows how to direct the hell out of a sequence. My, my, I think, so alluding to what, what Dan alluded to uh, being, I felt like this is a, a case of there either needed to be, there was things missing, things either needed to be added or taken away. And what I mean is he throws in a lot of stuff that sort of, you know, when you think about set, setups and payoffs, he puts probably too much setup for payoffs that don't feel like they justified the, the setup that they put, right? It feels sort of clunky in that way. Or I needed, so, so he either needed to reduce the amount of time we spent setting these things up. Um, so that way when the payoffs arrived, it felt a little more like, okay, that's, that kind of makes sense. Or he needed to flesh this thing out a little bit. Now we live in a, in a post Snyder cut era and I absolutely, <laughs> you know, thank you Taika Waititi for basically going the opposite direction for Thor Ragnarok saying director's cuts are all garbage. I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't think they're all garbage, but um, I do think that there are times when a little bit of extra would have been appreciated. Now that said, I think Jordan Peele had a lot of control uh, an influence over the final cut of this film. I don't know if he had the actual final cut right, but what I will say is I, I kind of wish I had gotten a little more at times. Um, it felt like there were scenes in connective tissue that were missing a little bit. Mm-hmm. It didn't ruin the movie. Um, and I still overall had a great time with it. I really did. That said, I think if I were to compare it to, you know, his previous two films, I mean, Get Out is a, is a masterpiece. It, it literally changed the way I, I think about a lot of different topics and a lot of, and then, and I genuinely think I'm a better person because I saw that movie and Laurent, because you and I have talked about that movie. Um, and I, and I think us, while not quite as, you know, powerful in a lot of ways as get out, I think the movie is still has incredibly sharp commentary on the nature of privilege and, and what it means to be on the, the receiving end of, of privilege. And, you know, what is that costing other people that maybe you don't know? Right. Mm -hmm. This movie, I feel like, has some idea, some ideas that it's playing with. And Laurent, I'm really glad that you liked sort of the ambiguity. Makes me more excited to get to the spoiler section mm-hmm. because you actually genuinely might change my mind on how I feel about this at the end. But there's a lot of there's there's two or three core ideas that I see out I see in the movie that I don't really feel like pay like aren't fully realized in a way that I just feel like I'm walking away thinking about the nature of entertainment. Like that's clearly a thing he's thinking about, but I don't really think it goes all the way. Um, or at least that was sort of how I felt uh, at the end. All of that said, I think this is one of the best movies I've seen this summer. Um, I hope it makes all the money. I want to see Jordan Peele continue to make movies like he's making. I am, but this one is the first one where the M night Shyamalan effect. I am not overly concerned but I am marginally concerned. And it definitely seems like a case of, if you think about M night Shyamalan doing the sixth sense, unbreakable signs, signs being the weakest also happens to deal with aliens of some sort. Um, (laughs) There's some parallels. I don't want to oversell them because I think that, you know, this is all, I don't think there's real parallels there, but I just, you know, my gut is like, okay, I like, and I did like signs, but this is the one where I'm like, okay, the next one's going to be the real, like, okay, is this guy like, is he going to keep going at the same speed and velocity with the same powers he has with his first two or three films? Or is this next one the one where we go, uh oh, yeah, someone needs to be told no <laughs> uh, at some <laughs> point. Um, but overall, that, that said, signs is still a great movie. I will go to bat for it any day. And I think Nope is still a great movie. So I'm largely positive on it, just with some reservations, to, to put a pin in it. Okay, so 
I mean, we, we mentioned the, the the performances, Daniel Kalula returning and Kiki Palmer. What, what did you guys think about these? I mean, were you pretty satisfied with what they brought to the table? I, mean, I know for me, Kiki Palmer just fucking hit a home run here. I mean, like every scene, she just gobbled up all the energy um, and paired really well with Daniel Kalula, actually, who was playing a, a very reserved character. So they, they, they bounced really well off each other. I mean, I, I don't know, Laurent, what did you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, yeah, she was absolutely a scene stealer. And I think that, um, you know, these aren't the kind of performances I think that garner like Oscar attention, but they're super engaging in the context of the story that, that we're telling here. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they added um, the humor and the pathos for this kind of genre that you wouldn't normally get. You know, so she's the humor and I'd say he's the pathos because he's much it's a much more requ quiet, restrained kind of quietly intense performance from mm -hmm. him. But that balance is really nice. And I love the dynamic between the two of them. It, it, that, that The love was felt between the two of them. There was a connection there that was deeply um, present throughout the film. Absolutely. Daniel? Yeah, they absolutely parlayed off of one another um, exceptionally well. So much so that I, while I was watching, I was saying how much I just want to see more films that actually star them. I know Kiki Palmer, um, they're, they're, isn't that many films that she stars in per se, from what I what I can recall, or at least that I've seen her in a lead role? She has a television background. Is that yeah? Is that right? I think like, so. She was like a one of the television she, childhood she, actors, right? She's yeah. one of those people that she's like. I mean, she is a talk show host now. Yeah, she's yeah. A, you know she's been in supporting roles for about gosh, I mean, since Akila and the Bee. However, that mm. was almost twenty years ago. That, oh man, yeah, that's so, right, like two thousand six, um, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, so she's and then she has a music career. Like so she's a musician too. So she's like. <laughs> One of those. She's like, not thirty yet, guys. I looked her up the other day. I was like, "Holy cow! How how is she so done? Talented. She's so talented." So she's she's gonna be. Gr I mean, I, she was fantastic here, but like, she's only gonna keep going up, right? Sure. She's, yeah. she's killing and, it, and and I just hope because again, she brings such a good energy and just the spirit of ambition. And you're mm -hmm. right, absolutely right. I cannot agree more that she does. I will say to some extent, steals the scenes. Yes, but I still think the two lead characters, um, they 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 definitely. They uh, and I believe it was, it was OJ and Emerald, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they parlay off of one another so well. And I know Kalua, it's a lot of acting with his face, which again, Kalua just his, yeah, so much, so much emotion on his face. Um, and I will say, you know, we get quite a bit of that and get out. Um, I think another thing that people maybe tend to forget about, maybe no, maybe maybe I just think people forget about it. But the um, the Black Mirror episode, uh, Fifteen Million Merits, oh yeah, that he yeah. stars in is is another excellent and very very unique uh, science fiction take. But but great and and again another thing just to speak on Palmer, her 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 physical comedy, how animated she is. Um, they're great. I almost wonder if just primarily focusing on them um, and maybe a few other characters. Again, would have would have helped the film a little bit more for me because I seem just I, I I seem to just want for them quite a bit more um, in this film, but they definitely were there, um, and I I still think they were utilized well. I, I I so here's my thing, and again I'm positive on the film. I think they cover their performances are so good they cover up a lot of the weaknesses in the script as I see it. Yeah, um, I don't think the script's bad. I just think there's a lot of pieces missing. But their performances are so strong; they anchor it in a like, like like what what they do for this film is they they really level it up. As in, I think if you'd had two lesser actors or two actors with less like chemistry and and sort of uh, screen presence, I, I I do think the movie would turn out a little differently. And it's cool to see a duo here too, because you have like I mean, with Get Out 
and us, you know, it's really like one star is really yeah. carrying the weight of everything, and Kaluuya and both of them, two of them. But um, it's uh, and then in, in, in comparing the three of them, you know, I feel like obviously Get Out is the magnum opus for Peel, and for me, what I found interesting is that. Us loved it so much at the time, still love it. I think he's three for three right now for me. But I think that the more I think about us over the years, the more the story falls apart for me and Mm -hmm. connections don't work. And just in the few days since I've seen, and I happened to see it twice actually now before, just in time for this, but um, the the more I think about Nope, the more the things click for me, whereas the reverse for us. Um, so I found that really interesting. I've obviously, and I've also con- absorbed a lot of think pieces. So yeah. I, a lot more things feel like, aha, that makes more sense to me. But, um, but definitely, I think the two of them are the strongest element of it. And I don't think, it, I think, you know, it wouldn't have worked as strongly for sure without two really strong performers. So, mm-hmm. and another thing I'd add to is just again, I know I said I talked about how well you know, Peel understands how to do an action sequence. And I know one of his goals with this movie was to make a big, a big a movie on a bigger scope than his previous two films. And I think he successfully does. I think those elements he does really well. The final act of this movie is freaking mm-hmm. awesome. It's yeah. so great. I had so much fun edge of my seat and just again, great storytelling, great filmmaking overall. And you get to see it on the big screen because I saw this in the Dolby at the AMC Dolby. And I can't imagine having seen it on a smaller screen. Cause it just really, I was fully immersed. I was there and, uh, you know, I think this deserves a, a that, that premium experience just as much as any Avengers movie or, you know, or Star Wars movie, for, for that matter. Um, even if it's not like a big spectacle, there is a lot of that in the movie. So with all that said, again, I want to spend most of our time in spoilers here. But uh, quickly, I want to get the letter grades in the movie. So what letter grade would you give? Nope. Daniel, I'll start with you. Laron has uh, uh, convinced me to amend my grade a little bit, um, <laughs> that I might be being a little bit too harsh on it. Um, I originally wanted to give it a C plus, but I think I'm, I'm feeling more of a B minus. I actually think it's better. And and you actually bringing up signs. I like signs too. I think this is quite a bit better than signs. I don't see as much of a concern. I think M. Night Shyamalan owns the, the his, his own his thing. own his own yeah his own yeah whatever you wanted to describe it as. But I I um I don't see Peel doing that. Um, I, I, also, I will say Peel in interviews is certainly comes across as significantly more humble than M. M. Night Shyamalan ever. Yes, did, I will say. So that's, yeah, that's one. A bonus for him and yeah. i hope he continues to 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 push those technical boundaries we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later but like you mentioning the night sequences that's actually one thing on a technical level i think it exceeds um even something like get out because get out there's to some extent i heard in in part of this i'm saying I, I heard an interview with him recently um that he mentioned like he really wishes he had the technique um that he had that he approached nope with when he approached get out just to make some of those sequences like walter running um, directly at the camera and get out, making those pop a little bit more and creating something a, a little bit better. But whereas, you know, in La- to Lauren's point, you are actively searching around. The, the, the nighttime f- doesn't feel like a compromise. It feels like a like a critical part of the film. But yeah, I'll say uh, a B minus. Gen- generally positive. A few reservations with the the narrative, uh, but maybe that'll appreciate over time. Absolutely. All uh, right, Daniel Bo Kemper. Thanks so much for that rating, Lauren Chapman. How about you? Um. On my first viewing, uh, there was a lot of noise in my head, and I needed to sit with it for a minute to really mull it over. Um, but I felt pretty favorable, and I thought um, I was sitting there in the B plus A minus range. But on the second viewing, and after 
again, absorbing a lot of content about the meaning and symbolism behind the whole film. Um, I'm sitting squarely at a strong A. All right, strong A. Man, I'm going to bring us home right in the middle because I'm going to give it a B. I really like this movie. I do. I have some reservations, but Laurent, to your point, you know, maybe if I see it again and I, and I let it sit, it'll come, become a little more clear because I generally like movies that make me work a little more to try to figure out what's going on. And I do think this movie has a lot of things on its mind that are potentially pretty powerful. Um, and again, just so much about the movie works. And I think removing removing the story elements to it, I think this is just a spectacle that that succeeds and it has a lot of original ideas. Whether or not you think that works on it thematically is, is, is uh, you know beside the point because I think the actual execution of those sequences and the spectacle is so good. It's, it's definitely quality blockbuster material. Before we head into spoilers, what alternate movie, television, novel, movie, video game, or other media recommendation would you give to listeners who enjoy Nope? Laron, I'm going to pass it back to you. Um, there's been so many comparisons to Jaws, and now that I've revisited, I can see so many more. Um, so I think that's definitely one that if you watched it before or after, either way, I think it'll help you appreciate certain homages that are definitely present in the film. So um, I would say Jaws is something they need to watch as All an right. alternative film. Classic for the young kids who haven't seen Jaws. Go watch it. It's incredible. Or watch it again for those many people who already have seen it. For the 15th time. Actually, 15th <laughs> is probably a conservative estimate. Uh, 25th time. Uh, Daniel Bokemper, what would you recommend to listeners? I've got three films for different reasons. Uh, my first is going to be Ron Underwood's Tremors. Uh, of course, starring Kevin Bacon. It's a great movie. <laughs> Reba McIntyre. Yeah, if you want strange things uh, mm -hmm. in a desert, it's basically the floor is lava, but actually the floor is carnivorous uh, sandworms. <laughs> um, so that's pretty cool. I uh, Not to be too much of a downer, but one film I revisited uh, literally today uh, was uh, Blackfish, the documentary from 2013. Oh, God. It is which, a downer. <laughs> it is a very, yeah, no. Um, yeah, don't don't keep uh, killer whales in captivity and uh, force them to perform. They will eat you eventually. Um, and uh, other than that, it's just, it's just it, you know, it's just inhumane and, and cruel. Um, but um, a film that I just, I think thematically speaks or lends itself to uh, some of the things we see in Nope. And then finally, uh, because Keith David is in this oh, film Keith at the David. very start, and he does die both two of uh, – I don't want to put any spoilers on there. Sorry. Well, you already um, spoiled it. You said he dies, so thanks, Daniel. First five <laughs> minutes. Come I, on. But um, <laughs> well, first ten minutes, I should say. But uh, yeah, sure. sure. What, uh, Keith David is in it's it. A, it's baked into the premise. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Keith David is a very important part, but he, it is largely – I guess one step above a cameo maybe, but but still a relatively small part. But another UFO and alien film, The Thing, of course, John Carpenter's Thing this specifically. Uh, and Keith David plays a significantly larger uh, part in that film. Uh, so check it out. Those would be my three. Awesome. And I'm just going to add this one on the fly because I love Keith David and I love aliens. Just play Halo 2. Go back to the classic. Key voice the Arbiter, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want to talk about aliens and you want Keith David and you get like what, at least a dozen hours of bonding time with him. And actually, if you play Halo 3, you can continue the journey further on from there. Yes. So who doesn't want Keith David voicing, uh, you know, an iconic alien? Uh, I do feel like he is so closely intertwined with the role. Uh, that one was added as a bonus. My recommendation is actually going to be thematically in line with sort of the film's critique of entertainment and the cost and toll it takes on those who provide it and watch it tropic thunder one of my favorite comedies that 
could never not, be made today. And it can, no. I, I'm just <laughs> yes. going to point out, it can never be made today. I'm not sure if it's okay to say I like it, but I, I'm going to say I love it because it's, it's so great. funny. And the way it explores sort of like the links that people will go to to remain relevant and to remain, um, y- you know, suitable for an audience is absurd. The things people do in the entertainment industry to sort of to, to be in that place is freaking crazy. And we'll talk about it more in spoilers, but I think this movie, Nope, has a lot to say about that. So if you want another movie that's very funny, Tropic Thunder, if you haven't seen it, it it's, it's Ben Stiller. It's Robert Downey Jr. playing a role he definitely couldn't play today. And uh, there's a lot of fun cameos in there. Everyone from Bill Hader to Tom Cruise it is just loaded and packed to the brim with so much riffing on the Hollywood system. Circa 2008, but I still think a lot of the principles still very much apply today. So great time. I highly recommend. Top five Tom Cruise performances. Absolutely. Oh, easily. Absolutely. Hands down. <laughs> just because, <laughs> man. <laughs> wow. Uncredited too, right? Yeah. I don't even yeah. Know. yeah. 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 They kept that secret. They kept that under wraps. Like, I think it was su- supposed to be a surprise that he was in the movie. Yeah. And it was, it was something else. It was. Else. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> it was something else. Scorched Earth, motherfucker. Okay. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, if you do not want to be spoiled on Nope, you want to make sure to tune out now. And again, we're going to be speaking at length about some stuff. So seriously, if you haven't watched the movie, stop what you're doing. We all gave it a good review. Go to the theater right now. I don't care if you're at work, you're sick. You're going to the theater. You're on your bicycle, ride it to the theater. You're on the treadmill. Well, there's a theater, I'm sure, within running distance of you. Um, your wife's going into labor. Well, you probably should have your baby first, but then you go to the theater. Okay. And you watch, you watch Nope. And then you come back and you listen to the next section. <laughs> so, uh, if you, if you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and tune out now. There's no way that he can win. No. Oh, no. So anyway, um, what'd you think of the season finale of Game of Thrones? <gasps> right? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm reading the books. Oh, sorry, 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 the first book. And he reads slow. We can never talk about it. We're never going to talk about it. Okay. Hey, has anybody seen that new Russell Crowe thriller? Because let me tell you, Sorry, it's just we're going tomorrow, and I don't want to know a thing about it. Gotcha. Doesn't want to know a thing. Gotcha. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 Who won the game? I think that it was. That I'm. I'm gonna watch it later. Oh, you're. Oh, you got the DVR. Yeah. I got it. Sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. The word. Yeah. So. Oh. <laughs> So, yeah. what's the weather going to be like this? Stop! 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 Sorry, it's, uh, we're having a barbecue this weekend, and I don't want to stress about the weather. And no, of course you don't. We just, yeah. Yeah, you know, we're talking. Yeah. All right, so there's a, a lot of things to, to unpack here, but first and foremost, let's just start with what I would consider maybe more one of the one of the more surface level things we could dig into, which is the way the movie tackles UFOs. Now, originally, I didn't even want to mention that that was a part of the 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 premise of the movie, but it was largely featured in the recent trailers that it was a UFO of some kind. Um, so again, in the spoiler free section, we still talked about that quite a bit. Um, but here's what we didn't talk about is that the movie turns out to be about uh, UFOs or aliens where the UFO is the creature uh, consuming all of the things that look at it, apparently. 
Uh, so I have to ask, what did you think about Peel's take on this classic UFO trope? Laurent Chapman, I'm starting with you. All right. So um, I actually think it's brilliant after thinking about it more. But I think that um, there's several different lenses through which you can kind of watch the film um, thematically. But it also does work as just a straightforward like yep. UFO, you know, sci-fi epic. Um, and I think that. For me, this is the first time that the presence in a while that the presence of an alien life form was genuinely like eerie and creepy again, you know, for me. Um, a lot of people referenced again that there's a lot of homages to Jaws. I remember the first time we see it, like when um, OJ looks up at the sky and you see it kind of, you know, move, move past the cloud. I remember like seeing the waves or the, the or the the ripple effect of the clouds as it's moving by, kind of like paying homage to like you know the ocean, the waves, mm -hmm. whatever. If we're thinking of Jaws, um, and then just its movements in general, you know, like just not like we see with you. Normally, it's this industrial thing, but it kind of just glides in the sky, kind of like a stingray. That's kind of right. what I was thinking of. So again, just thinking like I, that all feels so intentional to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like an intentional way to kind of harken back to that film without it actually being about that, you know, but just kind of like cool little thing, little touches like that. But, um, but yeah, I thought it has this kind of sea like ocean, like creature, like vibe to it, you know, cause there's clearly like he, the inspirations to it, you know, like the way it's lurking in the, in, you know, behind things, the music that the score is really haunting whenever it's around. Um, and it's always preying on us and it's always right there, you know, in the abyss of the darkness. So I thought those little touches were really cool. Awesome. Yeah. I love the, the way it's very floaty and, um, I'm not going to say, listen, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole of UFOs and are they real and whatnot. <laughs> but what I will say is one thing that I feel like I've seen a lot of, uh, God, I'm gonna, there's no way to talk about this and not sound like a lunatic. Okay. And all of the UFO related content that's considered technically non-fictional that I've seen on the history channel. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of times where they show you stuff where you're like, it looks like the aliens or like the, like the UFO is more floaty, but to Laurent, your point in a lot of, especially movies, it's like when it shows up, it's a big thing. It makes tons of noise. And it's, it's again, that majesty where we talked about earlier with some other films, this film does not take that approach at all. It's like you said, it's like just stalking people waiting for the It's moment, you know, to come up from behind the clouds and zoom in very fast, like in a very floaty manner. Not like, does it yeah. feel like a, an engine is, is, is almost weightless. It. Yes. You know? Like, it's yes. Just, yeah, very absolutely. It, it feels good. Uh, Daniel, what did you think about the, the UFO? Yeah, I, I love the design to be honest. I think that's uh, might've been the most appealing thing about this film to me. And I, I think just how it's built, um, you both have spoken to this a little bit, but the very like elusive nature of UFOs in them of themselves, wouldn't it be fascinating if, uh, the reason they're so elusive is because you die if you look at them or if you try to, to capture them on film. And I think playing on that and, and, and again, just how it manipulates electronics keeps itself from being recorded. Even if you just so much as look at it, um, I think that's really fascinating. And again, mentioning, um, you know, ocean creatures, yes, um, being more of a predatory animal like a shark is is close to, but as we'll speak to, uh, as it begins to unfold itself, I almost think that it's less extraterrestrial and actually still in some ways very terrestrial, not literally on land, but that it's it's derived from things that are of Earth that we see that we're familiar with, even though we don't fully understand them. Deep sea jellyfish is what comes to my mind. Um, or something like the vampire squid um, is what I was thinking of again. Very, very, very elusive, almost never captured on film. Uh, but when it is, it's just 
crazy. It's 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 awe inspiring. But again, I I I do love this take, especially, and I love just some of the glimpses. And I think what was paced really well about this film is just how we gradually learn more about um, Jean Jacket, its name, right? Um, and, which I I love as a name for a, a UFO. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I, I I don't know. I just I do really think it's very imaginative, and it's an interesting spin. And I can't think of another film where like the ship itself is the the thing the creature mm-hmm. um even though it's not technically a ship i guess by that logic but but yeah i i think it was very powerful very 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 original too another thing is it uh is still scary he, he finds a way to make it really terrifying again we mentioned the night sequences in the spoiler free section not only is the the night sequence just well executed in terms of suspense but the you you hear the thing digesting other people and you hear like, but it's not like a normal scream. It's like the echoes of a bunch of screams, but like in the, the, in the noise, like it, you, you hear them mm. in the digestive tracks together in this awful, eerie, just Which reminded terrifying me way. of uh, Annihilation, like the bear. Yeah, You know, like the voice, how it, oh, mimic, yeah. it mimics yeah. the people that it's consuming. That, uh, it has that, uh, that kind of, that same kind of visceral feeling, yeah. And you yeah. just gave me goosebumps right there by mentioning the annihilation <laughs> sequence. Yeah. It was terrifying. Yeah, I, it's, I I love that about it. And just uh, again, the idea that what motivates it is not being seen. If you look at it, it wants it's coming for you. Like yeah. that's the whole the whole right. point. And um, it also sort of ties into uh, the quote that was at the front of the movie. I believe it was some sort of biblical scripture talking about the yeah. dangers of spectacle. Overall, I think it's pretty great design. What did you guys think about sort of the final form and how they took it out in the final confrontation? Were you pretty satisfied, Daniel? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And again, it's it's like one part uh, deep sea jellyfish and then it's one part wet plate camera. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see that played out and you see it and, it, and it, it again harkens back to the very first film that was captured uh, that that, um, you know, the black jockey on a horse that, again, is, is serves as, as a bit of a premise and gives us some of the backstory um, into the uh, the the family at the center of the film, but yeah, it it, it just it, the journey that we take to get to that reveal, and then I think it just makes logical sense that the the UFO, which I started to think it appeared like a giant eye, um, yeah. And again, I, I compare it somewhat to the 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 design we have for the sandworms in Dune. Um, but but now it, it it unfolds into actually what appears to be like its own like capturing device and again those those rectangular just those individual frames that keep popping out and popping out and i i i just love that design and i love that transformation and it also felt earned and and again this this sequence of like oh we've captured it's just so how much we learn a little bit more about it not too much to like defeat any sense of mystery or wonder the curiosity of how this thing works always there but but the fact that it, it continues to to move into these things that are you know, somewhat familiar, um, without ever actually losing what it is or just seeming superficial. It just seems all very, very, very deliberate. Um, so yeah, I, I do really love the final form and it's, it's cool. You know, you play a video game and you defeat a boss and then it's like, Oh, I'm not quite dead yet. (laughs) And uh, it's, it's just one of those, uh, moments and it did feel very rewarding in that way. Awesome. No, I, I, that whole last sequence, again, as I noted earlier, is probably my favorite part of the movie. It's an incredible just sequence in terms of the, the, the way they plot it. They, they realize the weakness. They plot it out. They come up with this perfect plan. And just, you know, as all perfect plans in movies, it goes wrong. And they figure out 
how to fight it anyway. It's just, ew, man, it's great filmmaking. Uh, Laron, what did, what did you think about the, the final form and sort of that final confrontation? Uh, it's cool. I felt like the the opening sequence, like the opening credits, like when you're we're in the mouth or the eye, whatever, mm-hmm. of this being, um, and it, it does feel like you're in a camera lens. Mm-hmm. And it ends, as soon as that sequence ends and the movie starts, it starts playing the the jockey sequence, which I thought was cool. So it's clearly like hearkening the idea of this idea. It's viewing us. It's, it's, it's surveilling us, you know, in some type of way. Um, and again, I think that, um, as I said, you can watch this film through many different lenses. Um, and like I said, it can be enjoyed as just a straightforward alien movie, but I feel like if you view it as just a straightforward alien movie, then there's going to be something that, that leaves you wanting at the end because what I'm learning more and more after, you know, thinking and pondering it is that the aliens um, in this film, I mean, this is not, a, this has a, f- a film that features aliens, but it is not about aliens. Right. Yeah. It's just the, the, the alien, the aliens is yeah. a vehicle to tie, sort of tackle some other larger ideas. Exactly. Yeah. And the aliens themselves, you know, obviously a stand in a symbol for a much larger, deeper conversation. Um, and I think that's where Peel also kind of subverts our expectations here. Um, for the big reveal, because normally we're used to seeing like, you know, um, we're going to get the aliens motives. We're going to get um, it's going to be in this tangible, slimy, tentacle, saucer eyed form. Instead, as we saw, like it's this billowing balloon like, you know, kind of, you know, shapeless, formless figure, you know. So um, I found that uh, obviously another, you know, interesting, you know, subversion of what we're expecting from an alien feature film. Um, but yeah, and I'm, I'm glad he resisted that reveal too, of showing it in it's like a traditional form mm-hmm. because that would have been very underwhelming because we have seen that so many times. So, yeah, yeah, uh, no, absolutely. And I just want to drill in a little further to the, uh, the sequence here. Um, I mean, I think it's going to sort of take us into sort of the next topic, which I think is going to get to that commentary that you're hinting at Leron there, but just the, the, I love how they were able to recruit the filmmaker to join them only specifically a cinematographer, a director of photography, uh, using an IMAX camera. I mean, this movie is is clearly sort of critiquing whether it's the opening uh, credits that you note there, but even the the fact that like it's their obset obsession is with filming this thing. They mm-hmm. have to figure out how to capture it so they can make lots of money. And who do they go to to capture it? Well, they go to a director of photography and he's got a, a hand cranked IMAX camera, which is just amazing. By the way, the fact that this guy shows up with an IMAX camera that he hand cranks. Um, and then on top of that, I love how he gets eaten because he's a DP and he's like, eh. he's like, we don't deserve what was he? He's we don't deserve the impossible. <laughs> so in a true director photography, he's like, I got to do what I got to do to get the shot. And of course, it ends up to him getting eaten. Did he get the shot? I'm not sure. We may never know. But I, I kind of love this idea that the movie is really even in those final moments talking about. You think you want this thing? Do you really want this thing, or is this thing want you? Which way? Which way is it? You know, yeah. at the end of the day, wh- who's controlling who here? Um, are you really in control by thinking you can capitalize on this sort of transdimensional being that you don't understand, or is it is is it using your weakness and obsession to capture it as bait to draw you in and suck it up to the machine? Yeah. You know, um, and I, I just think that the way they 
execute it in grand blockbuster fashion is tons of fun. But the, the freaking TMZ guy shows up, which is <laughs> hilarious. But of course, even up to his death is like, oh, where's my camera? I, I got I to get a photo, man. You know, like he, everyone here is just obsessed with getting a piece of this thing. And that is ultimately... Everyone who dies in this film dies because they're trying to get a photo. I love just how confident. The, the, that was a character that was introduced momentarily that I just love just because it was like, he's so confident. But like eight things that you immediately notice about him, the electrical motorcycle, the all reflective like nature of his helmet, the camera itself. <laughs> they're all bad ideas for approaching this thing. Absolutely. It, oh, yeah. He's like the worst, the worst thing that could happen. Right. You are, <laughs> you are lunch. You know? And, and <laughs> Kiki Palmer's just like, man, you, she's like, please do not, you do not want any part of this. And she, then he, and no, no, he's filming her saying that so he can blackmail her later, you know, just like, wow, this guy has oh. got it in. OJ's trying to save him, but he's just like the content. Did I, did I capture the content? And then he's just like, fuck, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Ron, what are we, we, we going to well, say? There? Well, I was going to say, yeah. In the end, in the ending of this film, obviously, it's it's not really about the reveal of the alien itself. It's really revealing to us, you know, ourselves as the spectators, consumed by the spectacle of the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so I thought that was really an interesting way of, you know, what I mean, making this overarching idea about spectacle, our obsession with spectacle, how we become consumed by it. How, you know, a lot of what happens in the final sequence, and we'll talk about it later, um, is alluded to in that that horrific sequence that we haven't spoken about yet mm-hmm. involving the chimp. Um, because a lot of what's happening is paralleling in this moment. Um, and the idea, obviously, this, the, the balloons and these different things being like mm-hmm. this invitation of spectacle. You go to, a, a, you know, you see a birthday party, there's a balloon on the outside. You know you're getting ready to see something spectacular. Um, and, and so, so it being enticed by these things and also it being the thing that kind of sets the creature off, you know, off mm-hmm. its mark, you know, so, um, cause it itself, like us and like all of the characters, the TMZ character, the filmmaker, um, you know, all of them fall victim to this, this, they're consumed by the idea of viewing this thing, no matter how culpable we all be kind of become, you know, by amplifying it, you know? So I thought that was a really interesting take on it, but yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I mean, the, again, we haven't talked about Jupe, right? This is the character played by Steven Yoon, who, by the way, mm-hmm. this is one of those moments where I wanted more actually, because yeah. I, I found this character really fascinating and just about the moment I felt like I was clicking with him. He died and <laughs> uh, really spectacular sequence. I might add just the way he goes out was um, incredible. Um, and I love that they sort of used him as a vehicle to show. This is a guy as a kid was traumatized by this chimp killing all of his cast members on a, a sitcom that he starred on. But that, that sort of like gave him the confidence. Like he is obsessed with that. That moment defines his entire life. He is obsessed with sort of recapturing the greatness that he had Everything about his life is entertainment. He yeah. moves to a fake town. He builds his own ranch. Mm-hmm. He then, instead of when he knows that this thing is sucking things up, instead of trying to like warn people, he's like, how can I, I, I have looked evil in the eye yeah. before. I think I know how to handle it. And that's ultimately his downfall, right? Yeah, yeah this false confidence, because out of all the people that, uh, and he didn't quite kill all of them. Um, there, there, there is somebody who, who lived, I guess. Um, but, uh, to uh, that, that character who she has no speaking roles, but it was his former, um, Jupe's former co-star. Did she survive? Who, 
She was met. She's in the. That's the woman with the. Yeah, 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 yeah. But did she survived the first time. That's she what did, I mean. Uh, no, I was oh, saying she yeah, is yeah. destined. Oh, yeah. Yes, destined yes. to be phase two. They're both out. Yeah, yes. yeah, yes. Yes. yeah. We didn't get you the first but time. In but in many ways, it's because he didn't learn the a lesson. lesson. No, he, 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 that traumatic event. You know, instead of using it for good, you know, he used it for probably so, kind of profited off of oh, it. Well, not, I'm so, I mean, like he even, I mean, like the thing is, and I should have caught on to it sooner. It's very clear after the fact where he misstepped. But even at the beginning of the movie, he has that private room and he's like, I normally charge for this. Exactly. And he's like, oh yeah, I had this couple stand here for 10 grand one night. Yeah. Like, like his whole thing was, and when he thought about it, it's like clearly a traumatized thing, but he's always on the upbeat trying to figure out yeah. how do I get the most out of this, this opportunity? How do I yeah. milk it for something? And again, that, that, that being consumed by this idea of spectacle. Like we got, we, you know, profiting off it. His own, like, again, his own trauma is being used yeah. in this, in a way that's not, you know what I mean? Like it reminds me of like Grizzly Man because mm-hmm. it's like this idea that we, we, because what I took from that is that he has the confidence that he can survive these dangerous things that are supposedly uncontrollable because at the end of the day, Gordy still fist bumped him. He was still cool with him. Um, moments before. Also, this, screw this movie. It made me really sad that about Gordy just often. I mean, you knew it was coming. No, yeah. You knew it was inevitable, but it was still just such a sad moment. No, it was. It genuinely was. And um, but that's the thing. I think Grizzly Man is a sad film because you know this guy does think he's he's in with the grizzly bears, and I'm going to spend as much time as catching footage that no one else could ever capture, get this close to them, only to ultimately die and succumb to them. And that's. Yeah, that that's kind of sad, but that that again, he very much is a is a tragic character, but also just a very pompous and arrogant one. And so there is a bit of shine for it to be like, oh yeah, you you really don't know what the hell you're trying to control. But but at the end of the day, it's also like, how could you not see this happening? Why why do you take your experience you had with a chimp and apply it to this? And it's because we don't we don't think through that logically. Once mm-hmm. we have confidence to do something or to to try something. And, and we're committed to it. We're going to do it. Like, we'll, and he didn't treat the um, he didn't treat the alien life form with the same kind of humanity that you know that wasn't wasn't extended to the chimp exactly. Which was the lesson he was supposed to learn from that moment yeah. was that what happened to this creature, what happened to this animal, you know, was because it was exploited. Was because mm-hmm. it was being used as you know as a show pony of of, of sorts. You know, um, yeah. even after this brutal massacre, you know, here he is. You know, he's like. Okay, well now I'm doing the same thing to this alien life form, like making making this grander stage, doing exactly what even was happening to him as a token Asian character, as playing this all American, you know, um, uh, what is it, sheriff archetype? You right, know? right. Um, Kitchef. He's, he's being used. He's being used, you know, as a token on it, as kind of the butt of a joke, as is the monkey, you know. And I think in the, I mean, we, we're we're getting a little ahead of us ourselves in that sequence in particular. Like I think about how like he's there as the butt of a joke, the monkey's there as a butt of a joke, and then you know as they kind of open up that that big box and the monkeys you know release and the the balloons start you know making it go out you know off the rails and you start seeing it going all erratic. Um, in the end, that final moment where he's laying eyes, you know, they they have a moment together where they do recreate the fist bump thing. Um, that kind of becomes this iconic thing. Um, but in that moment, I think the reason the monkey didn't kill him because he saw he saw himself in that kid as we are both yeah. we're both in this like we're, token character. We're both yeah. tokens. We're both yeah. we're both being exploited here. Yeah. Um and it was that brief moment of humanity and then it gets and then it gets then it gets murdered, you know. So um he learned nothing from that moment. And right. I think that's what it is, is while we while I do feel bad for his character all these years later, he's he's literally you know profiting and, and exploiting you know these negative things that and with no regard whatsoever for 
the subject that's being exploited, you know, at the expense of profit, expense of ego, at the expense of spectacle, at the expense of all these things. So, and I think that's that whole sequence in and of itself, while it feels divorced from the A storyline, mm-hmm. I feel like is connected more thematically and Absolutely. symbolically. Yeah. It, it is. And that that's where I think some people, maybe maybe the reservations about this film might respond negatively. It's like with us, the things you see very early on, they are directly like narratively connected and they, and they, they pay off, I think in a more direct way. When you see them, there's nothing implied. There's no like it, it's not so much a like thematic terror or a tether. It's like directly tethered to the plot. Not to say this isn't, but I I think well, I wonder if that's where some people think they're where they're the like disconnect is from yeah. those flashbacks and that Gordy. And I feel like it's more like it's like it's, it's kind of you can look at it as a self-contained short film that kind of yeah. like introduces the theme to the movie, mm-hmm. if Absolutely. you will. Oh, it sets the tone. I, I think it's an incredible yeah. way to open the movie because yeah. you're just like, oh boy, buckle up because this is yeah. the kind of stuff we're about to see. Yeah, right? very, very And dark. I do love how they bring it back up halfway through the movie in that extended flashback. It, it, it is clearly thematically tied. My biggest problem was I just really wanted to see more. Like I found, I found the Juke character very fascinating. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. Obviously, he's not the star. He's a supporting character. It's the B subplot that's there to sort of support the underlying themes of the movie. I just wish there was a little more um, because because he just seems so happy-go-lucky, but yet he is simultaneously traumatized when he, mm-hmm. you see those moments where he stops and thinks about it. And, then, and even when he's about to walk up on the stage that day, he seems very nervous. So it's yeah. like, I just wish I could get a couple more scenes with him. I think that would, would help me personally. I don't think it ruins the movie by any means. If anything, it's like one of those, like... His death is very abrupt. That is for sure. Yeah. But then it's like, I guess... And then it's like his intended purpose in the plot was this moment. Right. Was to learn that, you know, here it is like years later, we're doing, we're recycling the same process. And in the end, he meets the demise that every other consumer out there trying to profit or, or make a spectacle of this thing, you know, meets their demise. And And ironically, none of the characters learn that lesson either because they literally all are like, all right, how can we get a video of this thing? You know, it's that sort of the interesting thing though, right? Yeah. Like they they sort of see it, but even they can't totally look away from yeah. the, the rich possibilities that lie ahead if they can capture it on IMAX. And I think, but I think the distinction though, I think the distinction, I think the reason why um, uh, OJ, love his name, and um, an emerald, you know, evade this is because like OJ in particular, he showed that he extended that compassion, extended that, you know, that sensitivity, like to the animal, like his own horses mm-hmm. that were being yeah. exploited for this, you know, for the same purposes. Um, and when he realizes that what if this thing is what if this is what we're doing, but maybe what we're doing is causing this. If we, you know, respect these kinds of boundaries, then maybe, you know, in that sense. And also. Because they're, while they are at first, of course, they're getting the Oprah shot. You know, they're trying to profit off of the off of this thing. But they've already been, you know, had an injustice done to them. They've already had their 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 legacy kind of ripped from them, mm-hmm. which is kind of introducing at the very beginning of the movie right away. You know, like, hey, you know, we got no credit for this. There's no there's no you know mention of this person who really kind of started everything. Um, and it's like becomes an opportunity. So their need to capture this is more out of survival, mm-hmm. is more out of a need to, you yeah. know, sustain their, they need money, sustain they, themselves yeah. because yeah. something was already taken from them, you know. And so in a way, I feel like I won't say like it's, it is the same thing, but it kind of like their intentions are less about greed and more about right. and more and more out of need, you know. So yeah. 
I kind of saw that as like the reason they have the saving grace in this moment for capturing it because their intentions are, are, are better than the people around them. Yeah. I mean, that part is absolutely accurate. So uh, before we transition to sort of the the major to- the last major topic I wanted to, to dig into, Laurent, that you hinted at here about just sort of you know black entertainers in Hollywood history, I want to just posit this. What if, just to stay with me, what if the UFO is the Marvel Cinematic Universe? <laughs> yes. You think I'm joking? I've thought about this <laughs> probably because this came out the same weekend that Comic-Con happened and there was tons of Marvel news and I was like, God, Marvel movies forever. But it's it's the idea of this giant spectacular thing. If you look at it too closely for too long, it sucks you up into yeah. it, right? And I'm thinking about probably a lot. It's gonna sound terrible. Uh, a lot of filmmakers who are like, I just need the money. I gotta get a job, mm-hmm. or the audiences who are just constantly consumed by wanting more of this thing, right? Um, and you see sort of even the filmmakers on the side who are obsessed with sort of like getting a slice of it to, to elevate the career. You see casual people, you see the uh, jupes on the side who are trying to make the DCEU, you know, to make their own profit off of it in their own way. You know what I mean? Like it's this big uncontrollable thing that is just consuming a piece of spectacle for that matter. That is just constantly consuming everything that looks at it for, you know, purposes that we don't quite understand. I don't know. If that, I'm I dig it. I'm, okay. throwing, I'm throwing that out there. It, it could be you could replace the MC with anything, and that just happens to be the most dominant thing that is consuming uh, Disney and the consolidation of Hollywood. Slash, mostly the MCU is consolidating Hollywood as we know it. So you know, just a thing I've always saw my mind. Yeah, that's a, that's a stretch, maybe. Oh, not too much of one though. I, I, I nothing is n- nothing would surprise me in Hollywood right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Jordan Peele was actively thinking about <laughs> no, that. No, I don't. But, I, but, but I know that, like, I, I know that he was thinking about though. He, he said in interviews that he was when he was writing the script, he had on the mind the state of Hollywood and kind of like the state of blockbuster cinema, and yeah, he yeah. knew he wanted to make a spectacle. I don't think he would, maybe he wasn't thinking of the MCU specifically, sure. but I'm sure he's thinking about, wow, there are these superhero movies that just seem to be all we're making right now. Right. And, yeah. Well, and, and that's what I love is he made a spectacle it, about spectacles. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, it's weird. It's like, it is a spectacle in its own right, but it's also critiquing spectacles at large. It gets us in the movie theater for the same reasons we go to a Marvel movie or to turn our brain not. I mean, not necessarily Marvel movies, but blockbusters that are, yeah. you know, we turn our brains off and here this is a thinking man's, you know, yeah, uh, blockbuster. And I love that aspect of it because, um, because yeah, what, what that's such an abstraction to me to like the idea of like, I'm going to make a movie about an idea. <laughs> and it's also, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's very, it's very, it's well, very Again, it goes back to what makes him such a compelling storyteller right now is he feels like he's doing the Twilight Zone, you know, but on a big budget in a lot of ways. He's just taking ideas and figuring out, okay, what does this look like in a story in, in ways that are fresh and unique and compelling. So uh, that, that's a huge testament that yeah. he's able to do that without using, you know, yeah. superheroes with capes or, or dinosaurs or, you know, any of that sort of thing. Yeah. Will we get a Jordan Peele superhero film? Don't ask that question. <laughs> they're they're going to ask him. They're going to ask him. Oh, Please you, don't. No, 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 you know they've already asked him. He's <laughs> right. probably said, I hope as a resounding nope. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this is sort of a side tangent, but you know, at one point he was going to produce the Akira movie, and I oh. actually was watching I mean, that would have been cool. That's not a superhero film, though. No, it's not. It's not. Uh, but I will say it was really great in the interview because he kind of explained why he decided not to pursue that. He was like, well, it's one of my favorite movies. It's like, it influenced me so profoundly. But then I realized... It's a perfect movie. What am I going to do to make it better? And, and you know, there's so many stories not being told. Why would I just want to recreate something that's already being told 
even sure. you know, through my own lens. I am I how what am I going to add to it to make it better? Anyway, I just think it's the way he thinks about how he chooses his projects. I you know is just a testament to his character, frankly. I uh, I did cheer for the brief uh, Acura illusion we did get when Emerald does the motorcycle slide oh, yes. on the yeah, <laughs> very very God, yeah, I love Jordan Peele, but yeah. In terms of filmmakers, I would love to have a beer with. Jordan Peele has got to be top three. He's just got some things going on up here, and he does it. So he, it seems so effortless, like when he's when he's speaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like you just came up with Get Out. That <laughs> right? just came out of your head. Like, don't get me wrong. We've all experienced I've experienced it. I didn't think of anything. I wouldn't even conceptualize an idea like that. You know, like, I mean, a horror movie reimagined as this, you know, as like what it's like to be black in America. And actually, mm-hmm. it's still scary. And it's like, yeah. So it's like that's something I wish I'd come up with. Like, so if I was in a multiverse, I would go back, steal that idea, and claim it as my own. <laughs> well, and he just seems so personable, too. He makes it seem yeah. so effortless, but also just, like, very approachable and conversational. Like, yeah, I had this cool idea. Like, what if you do this? What do you think? And it's like, yeah, uh, I'm not on your level, bro. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, it's yeah, he's he's doing some incredible, incredible stuff. So let, let's sort of transition to, I think, the last major topic I want to make sure we, we hit on here because it's, sure. it's, it has been alluded to in the trailers. Lauren's already talked about it, but the way they, they opened the trailer even with, hey, did you know the, the, fir- the, the man riding the horse in the very first, first motion picture was a, was a black man on a horse? And what if we told the story of his great, great, great grandkids? Ah, oh, there's another great, probably. Um, <laughs> which again, I thought that line was great. So just great. and also just it's so great. It's so it's great. great. Yes. And also Kiki Palmer. Just I know it's in the trailer, but damn, what a way to introduce the character. She just like nails mm-hmm. it, you know, instantly. Um. So uh, the movie features the descendants of that uh, previously unnamed black man. Um. So I just wanted to get you know your your take here, uh, Laurent, starting with you. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about this inclusion? Did you think this was sort of like a, a fun sort of like scene setting detail, or do you think the movie is really digging into, hey, like you know, African Americans, bl- black filmmakers have been a part of it the whole time. They just haven't gotten their credit. Yeah, I feel like it's really intentional. It kind of confronts this idea of erasure of you know, accomplishments um, of of black figures throughout history in general, not claiming ownership of, of things that we influence or inspired in some capacity. And that's why I think the urgency of them capturing this thing is so much more, um, you know, um, impactful for the two of them than it would be anybody else. And also, I think it also like them capturing it also for me, and I might just be reading it from my own experience as a black man, but like this idea of like, we have to get it on film or they won't believe it happened. Yeah. Now that could be obviously taken back into police brutality, things we've seen here with the Black Lives Matter movements, all these things like mm-hmm. with if, if it's not on film, it didn't happen, it's my word against yours and you're going to go with this person every single time. And even if it's captured on film, you're going to scrutinize it and find some way for how, mm-hmm. oh, what happened before this or what happened after this? So I saw that also uh, at least subtly being being you know referenced here and how important it was that they captured this, not just for their own survival, sustainability on their on their property, but also, you know, uh, making, you know, a more, you know, overarching idea about what that's like, you know, for us, you know, as in general and, and having to constantly, you know, um, and the danger of capturing it too, like what it's going to do, what kind of attention that's going to bring to us because we did that, you know, how are they going to silence us for it and what have you. So I saw that. All of that kind of being referenced there with this whole pie chase pursuit against this, you know, shapeless alien life form. But yeah, 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's, um, uh, you know, I think Peel said, I, I think it was uh, on the press tour for us when asked if he would ever make a filmmaker starring, you know, white people. And he's like, no, because I'd, I'm not interested in those stories. Those stories have already been overexposed. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that's really great that he's able to bring that piece of cinematic history to the forefront here. Um, and Laurent, I hadn't even considered like the implications of like, you know, if you're a person of color filming this, are people going to doubt you? I mean, because you're sure enough, if you came out with those claims that they're already going to think anyone's crazy, but they're extra yeah. going to think that if you're a person sure. of color, that you were just probably some sort of drug addict of some kind. You know what right. I mean? You'll find a way to just be more dismissive of it. But even then, what are the risks? I think that's a great way, great to pose it. You know, uh, is is there something to that? Even if they get what they need, are they are they actually going to succeed in the fame and fortune that they're they're seeking? Well, yeah, and even like relatively early in the film, they capture the anomaly right, on film. Right. They at least mm-hmm. capture that that still cloud, but it's like this isn't enough. No one, no one is going to believe us. No one is going to like even with this evidence, people still aren't going to believe us. We still have to get more. What um, do you say? Like it's like it's good, but it's not Oprah. Right. <laughs> we got we got to try harder. This that's is not a, pretty fucking crazy. It's pretty like, crazy. It's not moving. It's not moving. But that's not clouds enough. don't sit there. <laughs> right. Um. But yeah, no, and and that's it. And yeah, I think it is like. The the objectification is still definitely there because even just moment even before that idea is introduced that they are um, related um, to technically the first film star they were never credited and then even when he reveals like he's his name Otis Junior it's OJ and like that the one of the actors on that commercial she just like oh yeah it's like very palpable yeah, yeah. she's like oh uh. And at first I thought that was just like a, a throwaway black joke, but then I'm thinking about how much, how sensationalized that murder trial was yeah, for right. OJ. So it's yeah. also likening back to the idea of spectacle because that was a nationwide spectacle and it had brought up a whole lot of conversations about race, the criminal justice system, yeah. um, you know, celebrity because he was a celebrity. So does he get, is he an exception to the rule? You know, all these different things. And so his name, you know, also it just, kind of seem also very intentional, not just for that funny moment. Yeah, but, exactly. But to talk about, again, thematically what's going on here with the idea of sensationalizing horrific things and how, uh, again, us as spectators, you know, as we tuned in, I wasn't of age, but my parents did were, you know, mm-hmm. were tuning in and just amplifying. And we were the, we were the people like, you know, charging him with or without it, you know, at the time, the public opinion kind of asserting mm-hmm. ourselves yeah. into it. And so like, there's, there's a level of violence there too, you know, you know, in a way, you know, whether we're again, like just culpable for, for viewing it over and over again and bringing attention to something like that. But I thought that was an interesting little nod, you know, just with his name, you know, yeah. Little touches. He's pretty he's pretty clever guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> also, God bless Keith David. I mean, I was so sad to see him go in the opening. I wanted movie. more scenes with him. I, I That's know. Another, he had even that two, one, he had one and a half. He scenes. had one and yeah. a half. Yeah, he gets a fla- brief, brief brief flashback at the end of the movie. But um It is kind of interesting that he both he dies by a literal flying saucer, but then he dies by another literal flying saucer in that the nickel that Right. Wasn't his eye that kills him? I, I I thought that was a nice touch, but also yeah, just no. eerie. The imagery of him hunched over, like you hear something happen and you're not sure what, and you see him on the horse, and then you see him slouch over. Just yeah. God, brutal death uh, again. Way to set the mood. Yeah, because he said he what well, is like he dies by a token of sorts, you know. Like, yeah. Um, and then in the end, they save everything using the to- tokens to capture the thing. It's just little, little, little nods, like little things like that that I just thought were really cleverly placed. But yeah. Well, and, and I guess the last thing I would say uh, that I found interesting, and I, I don't know what to make of it quite yet, but 
I do think there's somewhat somewhat of a connection there uh, about what he's saying about you know the Asian American experience. Lauren, you were talking about sort of the the, the tokenism earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is there it, you know is it that character specifically, or is he trying to get at something larger about how maybe the differences and how minorities have approached sort of like the Hollywood's you know studio system? I don't know. I'm not qualified to talk about that, frankly. <laughs> but I just found it kind of interesting, um, sort of showing showcasing how you know this is how uh, you know historically influential black creators have been treated and this is how they approach sort of challenges uh, that threat, you know, are an existential threat. And here's how, you know, other groups of people do the same thing. Well, even like Kalia's character, I thought it was interesting. Like as we first introduced to the two siblings, like how he's constantly trying to, she's very comfortable with herself and the way she projects herself and everything. And he's constantly like taming her down, you know, like, Hey, when we go in here, None of that sideshow shit, you know, like we're going to like, I need you to where this is a business deal. You know what I mean? Like don't. And she's like, no, this is my, this is my side gig. The other stuff I'm doing, you know, like, so I thought that was interesting. Like, you know, like even his policing of her while we're around other people so that we can assimilate into this larger, you know, whatever, you know, just a lot of that was interesting, you know, and then obviously he starts realizing that she's more of an asset to him. And she's like, maybe you're holding us back, you know, by, by trying to appeal to them. When we we have our own voice, we have our own thing, and I thought their own—I just thought them having them in this just adds a whole nother flavor to the mm-hmm. genre. I love the swag between. I love their their commentary. I love their interactions with each other. I didn't expect to hear the N word five times in the movie. You know, just like in a sci-fi movie, like things like that, just things you just don't see in it that I thought were really cool. Yeah, and her character is just so interesting too. Again, just her having to observe her dad, Keith David's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then OJ sort of just recreating this, this system that has never really quite done yeah. anything for them. It's just been maintaining the same. They're, they're only there because they train the horses and we want horses in our films. We want live horses. Um, even though we'll very quickly replace Lucky with a CGI horse if we have the opportunity, <laughs> but for her having to see the, the one horse that they got for her, which I can't recall if it was ghost, the, one of the other horses or, yeah. or not, I, I can't recall, but like she had to watch as, you know, her dad and OJ broke the horse instead of her and, and just mm-hmm. not her even being able being a part of this family business. Like they, they think she's like so different and she's so removed or it could be she's a woman that she's not capable of doing these things that we, but she winds do. up being the one that captures jean jacket. Exactly. You know, which is great, which is with the name of the horse that she didn't get to before the, the yeah. kid named it, you know, for this. And so it's like, finally she gets her moment there at the end mm-hmm. and it happens to be not a horse, but you know, something pretty significant to right. <laughs> Uh Killing the creature by a balloon yes. was pretty great. It's yeah. pretty brilliant. Because I was genuinely wondering how they were going to end the film. I was yeah. like, are they actually going to kill this thing? And and for yeah. them to do it with that giant balloon. And it's just, the and this, again, it goes back to that Gordy thing. You know, the st- it all started with the, the balloons, balloons coming yeah. out. Mm-hmm. The spectacle. It's enticed by the balloon, and then he consumed it literally. And then it was it it was the the creature's demise. I mean, you know the you know. So it's like, and I thought that was a, a nice you know, uh, reoccurring motif there, but yeah, pretty cool, man. What a great movie guys. I mean, I know it's, I just said, I said, it's probably not my favorite peel movie, but goddamn, even his weakest movie is something to talk something about. To talk I, about. I, I do want to see it again. Now, Laurent did make me want to watch it. <laughs> well, and I just, <laughs> again, I just think about this versus half the other movies I've seen this summer, particularly thinking back to our Thor 11th Thunder review. Again, we gave it a good review. It's a very yeah. serviceable, enjoyable experience. Yeah. Not perfect, but it's a good time. 
But man, I've already I've already spent way more time thinking about nope yeah. in the last like three days than I did I have uh, you know Thor: Love and Thunder in a week. You know, so I would rather a movie be divisive and make me think about it and wrestle with it for a little while than just something that I just kind of check in, watch, and check out. You know, and, it, yeah. and just yeah. kind of move on. Um, so I, again, I think Jordan Peele is delivering that this summer, whereas not a lot of other at least films of this budget are. So I'll, I'll take it. All right, guys. Anything else you would like to say about Nope before we wrap up today's conversation? LeRon? Uh Final thing. I thought, obviously, we just said about the balloon and exploding. The I, I feel like that also is a direct homage to Jaws because of the way that the pressurized tank exploded the shark at the end of the movie. I mean, it's blowing up from a balloon in the middle of the sky. I mean, that feels, if they're, if he's referencing Jaws, then the take, the take out of the creature feels very much connected to that. But at least symbolically but yeah thought that was cool oh man again details just really Small set details. this one apart you know uh daniel please uh don't let this film deter you from attempting to uh capture ufos on film i, I love to see them i would love to see them well. <laughs> support so. hey you guys have i told you about the cloud that sits above my house does not move <gasps> also I, we have to reference the sequence where the house is being drenched. With oh, blood. blood. That was, oh, my God. That's a fantastic sequence. Yeah. I just, like, that's a horrifying image. Like, your house is literally being bathed in the blood of the people that this creature has consumed. Mm-hmm. And then the, and then it's blood stained the next day. I was like, I, oh, I, yeah. I love that. I just, that's just a, that's an, that's an, an image I couldn't have fathomed that I wouldn't even think to write into a movie. And so I'm glad that we have that in our brains now. <laughs> I love the scene where this is when Daniel Kalula, I think realizes, um, you know, OJ realizes that you can't look at it is when it's right above him. And he just kind of starts to open the door and he glances up and he hears it make a noise. And he's like, Nope. Nope. I firstly laughed so hard, but also gosh, the whole sequence was just, Flawless. It, mm-hmm. The way it was paced, the way it was shot, had mm-hmm. to come. It was scary with the blood drenched house, the iconography, but also it had humor in there. It, yeah, man, just again, great storytelling. Yeah. All right, I think that will do it for our review of Nope. Uh, man, this has been so much fun. Um, now, for our listeners who want to keep up with you and the your work and all the cool things you're doing online, where can they follow you at? Daniel Bocamper, I'll start with you. Yeah, keep an eye out on the Cinematropolis, of course. That's where a lot of my stuff is nowadays. Uh, Broken underscore Dandy on Instagram and Daniel underscore Bocamper on Twitter. Um, but also uh, keep an eye out for my review of uh, Marin Hadaro's uh, a down-home meal for these difficult times. It's a short story anthology uh, in the next issue of World Literature Today. I mean, you sold me right there. I'm, I'm <laughs> in. Lauren <laughs> Chapman? Oh, if you want to catch me, you will not catch me outside because of the heat. But um, if you want to catch me online, you can follow me at my name, Lauren Chapman, on Facebook. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Black Movie Magic OKC, Or you can follow me on my reviews on Letterboxd at Cinna underscore man. Nice. Um, I appreciate, again, letterbox plugs. I think this is the second or third episode we've said it. But download the app. It's great. It's going to change your life for tracking movies, I, I promise. Um, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Talk. That's letter C, Masters Talk. Talking a lot about film, television, video games. Um, tweeting about Better Call Saul a lot because, guys, it's in the final season and so good also we got a new game of thrones prequel series coming out uh in august and i might have some things to say about that there might even be another podcast you'll hear about that again i'm sure in our next episode uh but you can follow that again uh me on twitter um i'm also on letterboxd at c masters talk that is letter c masters talk 
And again, if you want to follow The Cinematropolis, head on over to thecinematropolis.com. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We'll catch you again when we're back in uh, in August. Now, we've got a couple different movies. It's kind of a coin toss on which one we're going to cover first. Uh, what I will say is we have Bullet Train and we have a Predator movie. Uh, uh, Bullet Train just looks like lots of fun. Predator, um, in, a, in a very tragic manner, is being sent directly to Hulu for some reason. Um, anyway, I'm very excited about both of these films. Uh, and also, I am doing a fun little Obi-Wan recap to cap off the summer uh, with some Star Wars fans because, um, I don't know, I just felt the need to talk about it because I had things to say about something Star Wars related for the first time in a while that weren't like anger. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about that. You can look for all those things uh, in August, so some good stuff coming up. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you again next time. <laughs>